Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Could alien craft have anything to do with human afterlife? Do paranormal creatures like Mothman warn us before disasters occur? What are the spiritual and philosophical implications of the UFO phenomenon? Well, greetings and welcome to the 607th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Paul and Ben is the producer tonight. He's running around looking for cables at this point. And uh, those questions, of course, were uh, having to do, of course, with our subjects and our guest. And we bring you an old friend and a new friend tonight. And uh, we welcome your calls. It's 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. 401-766-1240 locally. Also, we will monitor Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for emails. Diane Tessman is the author of a number of books, including The Earth Changes Bible and Seven, the, and Seven Healing Rays of the New Millennium. A UFO researcher for many years, she has worked with MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, very credible organization. She is also a well-known commentator on paranormal matters and believes that people can communicate with and learn from life forms in parallel realities. Diane's website is earthchangepredictions.com. Timothy Green Beckley has been a UFO legend for centuries and is the author of a million books. Also a broadcaster and producer, Tim was a good friend of the late Joe Ferrier, talk show legend here on ON 1240. And Tim uh, first appeared on this station with Joe over 50 years ago. Tim is president of Inner Light Publications and his website, conspiracyjournal.com. Diane and Tim, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Uh, okay. Tim, are you with us? All right. Well, I think we've got an issue here. Let me, uh, if I get our producer back, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what we can do. Okay. One of the, um, the issues with, uh, the, the notion of the afterlife and UFOs, I mean, I can see, so, oh, oh, there we go. Uh, are, are you with us, Tim and, and Diane? Well, I'm in the dusty yes. halls of the old uh, building there, yes. How are you? Okay, very well. good. Yeah, we uh, had the volume <laughs> turned on. <laughs> we'll get it straightened out. Anyway, uh, I just gave your bios, as you may have heard. Yes. And uh, I'll start with the questions Ben was going to, uh, to use here. And Diane, um, you're an unusual guest for us because some might call you, well, some might say you are new age, trendy, and kind of moonbeam, all right? Somebody we usually stay away from. But from what we've seen, your work does indicate a serious approach to these subjects. So that said, let's start with our main subject, UFOs and the afterlife. There was a speaker at the West Virginia Paranormal Conference in 03, can't remember his name, but he suggested that many UFOs are seen over cemeteries and they were actually carrying the dead to the afterlife. I remember that my jaw was on the floor. There, that seems to be among the suggestions in your new book, UFOs, Are They Your Passport to Heaven and Other Earthly Realms? Am I wrong? Straighten me out here. <laughs> well, I believe the UFO phenomenon is actually a vast number of phenomena. Um, so if you think that we were aliens exploring Earth, we would expect to find one kind of animal? No, there would be a huge variety. And this certainly holds true for the galaxy and the universe as well as Earth. So, of course, there are civilizations older than ours and more advanced, and many of them form a great variety of origins. It could well be that after death, our consciousness passes on in its infinite journey in the form of a plasma-like spirit. So, over the years, I I'm actually not so moonbeamy. I've written <laughs> on a number of UFOs. <laughs> 
number of UFO origins from a science speculation point of view, um, from the angelic realm to the dark plasma biosphere, which is an interesting subject. Uh, so we as a human species should not be afraid of the unknown. Uh, so UFOs being the vehicle for souls who have passed on, or perhaps being the soul itself in transition, this is not the only answer regarding UFOs, but it could probably be one of them. And let me just give you an example here. Um, I interviewed a family who lives in the mountains above Poway, California, a few years ago. Um, their father was a UFO maniac, in their words, and the family admitted they paid him no attention um, regarding his UFO fascination. They just um, indulged him and didn't listen. Um, their dad had all kinds of books and videos and so forth, and he always tried to talk them into the fact that UFOs are real. So he died. The family was watching his casket get lowered into the ground, they told me, at his funeral. When one of the grandchildren yelled, there's a UFO up in the sky. Sure enough, every one of the family that I talked to saw a saucer-shaped silver craft hovering over their dad's grave, <clears throat> a ways up in the sky, but directly over. It then disappeared, and they all agreed. It was right in front of their eyes that it just demanifested. So the family, <clears throat> every one of them, were astounded. None of them had ever seen a UFO before, and at the minute that their dad was saying goodbye, lowered into the ground, there was a UFO overhead for the first time. And they told me that they all believed their dad was in the Silver Father, which, and it was a great UFO sighting in itself. And then to boot, two of his sons, who had not received any kind of, uh, um, pass along from their father on UFOs, and two of his sons and one of his grandsons are now obsessed with UFOs after the funeral. So I interviewed them um, actually for this book, and um, it was an interview I did a few years ago, and I thought that was a good example of we simply don't know what UFOs are, and this is worth considering. Okay, Tim, well, what say you? Well, you know what I say here. Um, one of the strange things, and this is, you know, how I'm I'm into uh, synchronicities. We've mm. synchronized our conversations several times in the <laughs> past. Now, uh, on June twenty fourth, nineteen forty seven, uh, Mr. Kenneth Arnold, uh, the he was a private pilot. He was flying between uh, near Mount Rainier when, off in the distance, he saw nine gleaming objects that looked like they were saucer skipping over water. Now that's how the term flying saucer uh, came to be. Uh, every year uh, people still uh, celebrate uh, the uh, Ken Arnold's uh, sighting. In fact on our uh, program Exploring the Bazaar we had on Kenneth Arnold's granddaughter uh, just uh, last year on the anniversary of his sighting. Now the strange thing is is that a number of very dedicated UFO researchers and believers have passed away and on the anniversary of his uh, observation of these nine gleaming objects. Uh, that would include Frank Scully, who is a reporter for Variety, the show business newspaper, who wrote the book Behind 
uh, let me see, uh, Behind the Flying Saucers, or, or uh, it was a, a book about the uh, incident uh, in the uh, southwest where a UFO had, had crashed. This would have been back in the early 1950s, and it was the first really popular book uh, on uh, UFOs, and certainly the first one on uh, UFO crashes before the Roswell incident even came about. Uh, then there was um, Frank Edwards, who had one of the first radio uh, uh, programs. He was a legitimate news re uh, news reporter. Uh, he wrote a book called Flying Saucer Serious Business, which uh, is probably the best-selling UFO uh, book of all time. He died on June 24th. Then his publisher, Lyle Stewart, who published uh, several of uh, Frank Edwards' books, died on June 24th. And Jackie Gleason, who was a big UFO uh, believer, he was a regular on the Long John uh, Nebel uh, uh, panel, a party line show um, uh, here out of New York that was heard in the uh, uh, late 50s and 60s. A very large uh, audience uh, in 30 different uh, states. And he had one, Jackie had one of the largest UFO uh, and occult libraries uh, in the world, which is now uh, in, at the University of uh, the Archives at the University of Miami. And there were other, several other researchers, I don't remember their names, but they all passed away on June 24th. So there's a synchronicity there, but it doesn't end uh, at this point. Now, uh, Kenneth uh, Arnold uh, had a number of uh, sightings. He also had encounters with the, uh, the men in black. He did not believe, and most people do not realize this, that the objects that he saw were from outer space. He was not a big believer in the extraterrestrial theory. What he secretly believed is that UFOs were vehicles that carried the souls of the recently departed from this world to the next. So I say that UFO believers who uh, passed away on his birthday, probably got a uh, first-class trip over to the other side. Synchronicity, little bit of weirdness, but there is definitely a tie uh, between UFOs and the afterlife, which uh, Diane and I uh, bring out in our book, UFOs, Are They Your Passport to Heaven? In fact, some people have actually claimed to have seen their, rel their deceased relatives inside landed flying saucers. Bizarre, bizarre, but uh, that's what we're dealing with when we deal with flying saucers. Okay. I, I get what you're saying, all right? But there are a number, and, and Tim knows how we think, Diane, so don't be too alarmed. We, we, we're talking about a number of assumptions here. Yes, we there are, are. There are questions that we always ask on the show. What do you mean by soul? What do you mean by heaven? What do you mean by UFO? The implication... If the scenario is, or some, or, or some UFOs are doing what you suggest, then the implication is that here is one place, and the afterlife, or heaven, or whatever you want to call it, is somewhere else spatially. That might not even be theologically accurate. Not, not you know, for, for what that yes. may be worth. Uh -huh. So, I mean, I think we need to define our terms, and uh, are we saying, and this is a question for both of you, are we saying that nuts and bolts craft that may or may not be from other planets or somewhere or somewhere else are taking some sort of remnant of the human being, plasma or otherwise, to some other place somewhere else that, that, that is not nuts and bolts and that is spiritual or, or something. Like that. Is, is that essentially what we're saying here? And if so, I'd like to know more about it. 
Well, you're the, you're the one that has a background in theology and not, not I. I. I'm an investigative reporter. Uh, I can only say that well, I'm an investigative reporter, too. <laughs> After they threw me out of the well, seminary, that's well, what ex- I did. Except you're dealing with higher, perhaps you're dealing with a little bit higher realms than I am, Paul. But, well, I know everything, guys. Oh, that's well, right, well, that makes it you easy. Have, you, you have contacts from uh, other uh, realms. Okay, j- uh, before I turn this over to Diane, my assumption is is that UFOs are paranormal in nature. What we call nuts and bolts may not be nuts and bolts uh, as far as other uh, beings are concerned. I think that there is a world outside of our own where our physical is not their physical and vice versa. I, I mean, okay. I don't know how to explain it because I'm not, I'm not a scientist or a physicist, but all I know is after investigating hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of uh, incidences where people have had close encounters, there's something very unusual going on here uh, that is not of a strictly physical nature. I often say what happens inside of a haunted house is very similar to what happens at a UFO landing site. And now before I put my foot in my mouth any further, <laughs> Diane, you can have your say. Well, I think we need to convert this into the idea of consciousness, not theology in the old sense, because I'm leaving the old theology behind, and I think a lot of humans at this point are leaving a lot of old things behind. Um, we each have a unique... Um, coalescence of consciousness and when we die the question is is that it or does our consciousness set sail into the ocean of cosmic consciousness now this isn't just metaphysics or spirituality um, I've been working with Edgar Mitchell's um, foundation for Apollo 16 astronaut who walked on the moon right yeah extra, he was the sixth astronaut on the moon and he's been exploring this. He quit NASA after uh, two years after he walked on the moon, and he's been looking into consciousness and universal things like telepathy and um, beinghood throughout the universe. And uh, we really need a new game plan here in our thought. Um, when we think of consciousness... I think of um, our brain as being just plumbing, and consciousness flows in and it flows out. We don't necessarily generate our reality. We interpret it. We filter it. And um, do we have a mind and spirit which is not dependent on our physical body is the question. Um, It's been nestled, our physical, our spirit has been nestled in our brain or our soul, if you believe in that, all these years. And I believe we are infinite consciousness who experiences an Earth lifetime. Um, Advanced consciousness might be a mere 100 million years ahead of us, a drop in the cosmic bucket of time. They might have discovered the mystery of how consciousness never dies but only changes changes form. Uh, But we haven't quite discovered this yet, and yet we see instances of consciousness going on Um, after so-called death. Um, Energy can't be destroyed. It can only be changed. And so I think on up the road, spirit and science aren't contradictory anymore. I think they become 
a greater reality than the two of them are by themselves. And there's, uh, it's very hard to get into words because we haven't gone there yet. But a lot of people feel as I do, and it could well be sort of a point of freedom for our species because we've been hit over the head with theology and what the religions want us to think or what the governments want us to think. And I believe that life after death is is something much more dynamic and real than what religions or governments have told us. Well, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm with you to a certain point, Diane, okay? Um, as far as the theology is concerned, I, I do have to point out that uh, these, you know, there's a statement of theology in your book about uh, the, the stereotypical pop view of heaven and hell, which is not and has never been the, the official theological view of anyone except, well, I guess, so, you're in, so you're right in this regard, anyone except the more fundamentalist Christians, essentially, uh, yeah. and maybe a few other groups, but but generally uh, the the view of theology taken by the ancient church carried on in some churches today, and that really is the, I suppose, the, the deepest theology uh, re- could could be worded in a way that might reflect a lot of what you say. My issue with what you say is that I don't know if it's, and as you say, language is not up to actually talking about this stuff. I think it may be a little narrow. Uh, You have the the traditional view, almost a spiritualist view, that is something that that reflects what we call the island theory. On one side of the coin, we have problems with the idea, and this is because I've been a ghost researcher for 45 years. I never saw anybody I believed was dead. All these entities, when they were human at least, or seemingly so, seemed to be complete people. How can you be a complete person without your body? And this is where we get into the dualism in in Western and modern thinking that that just is a cancer on all of Western thought in Europe and America for the last 300 years at least, in in my opinion. And Mm -hmm. that's that uh, you know you can have a body which really doesn't mean all that much and then your soul whatever that may be somehow leaves it and you're still your complete being without your body that doesn't make any sense to me i have a problem with that because uh, maybe again it's it's a the, the the eastern theological background that i have where things are very physical and physical is good it's not body is bad and soul is good and all this however now on the other side of the coin where where i might agree with you is that Yes, it's not just this soul, or whatever it is, a person. You have a super personality or super self or whatever across many, many what we would say are, are parallel worlds that, that uh, will equate to some of the not-quite-up-to-snuff beliefs of, of the spiritualists in the sense that, that um, you, know, you, you die, you, you go to some other side. Well, what, what other side? The other side of what? There, if this is correct, are billions and billions, maybe an infinite number of other sides with all kinds of different versions of you. So if people are seeing UFOs at funerals, it, I, I, theoretically it could be uh, what you say, or it could be uh, maybe a bit beyond that to, to a, um, different versions of people perhaps making themselves known. I, I suppose maybe it's six and one half dozen of the other, but you get what I'm saying here? I think it's... Uh, 
a lot broader than maybe sometimes we look at things. I don't know. What do you say? Ben, ben you're, you're back. Do you have any uh, comments? Uh, I'm going to be honest in that I was spent a good 20 minutes looking for a splitter. So Okay. So I was... Oh, I was, you found it. Good for you. I did find it. So that's that's a plus. So now I can, I can catch up. So I will have a question eventually. Okay. Thank you. I'm sorry, Diane. Go ahead. Or Tim. Well, I think we can only deal with it at the level that we're at presently. Um, some of us are a little bit one level and some of us are a little bit the other. Um, that doesn't mean anybody's higher than anybody else, but um, I belong to a group of free experiencers, as I mentioned. Oh, I know them well, um, yeah. That uh, Edgar Mitchell is heading up, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that every experiencer seems to have a different version. You start to sure. wonder, you know, is there any one truth in this at all? All you can do is look to your truth. Um, I had uh, two encounters that I remember at age four, and I hate to say it, 1952, which makes me 68 years old. Time and, flies, you're having fun. Um, <laughs> I can only uh, tell you what I feel and uh, knew from those encounters, but it doesn't have to come from, you don't have to have had encounters, but I'm just saying we just need to put it in terms that we can understand. It certainly is probably broader than, more vast than we can possibly ever word or comprehend or even begin to comprehend. But it it's time to look at consciousness, perhaps, instead of a soul. I, I don't really think that the soul is a shining form that is in the um, middle of you or in your mind alone, I think that it's in every bit of DNA within us who we are. And I guess the question is, does it go on or does it just die or scatter into individual particles? And there seems to be evidence that it remains coalesced into a unique being who is a part of the greater um, hologram or God consciousness or whatever specific it is you want to believe there, and it does go on. Um, that's about the best we can we can do right now from from where we're at. Okay, I I, um, I, I see what you're saying. Um, personally, I think we need to look back at the beliefs of our remote ancestors. So I think really got it because they came perhaps out of the dream time or, or, or times when we had less baggage than we have now. I mean, now we live in artificial environments that we create, and nobody is feels the earth, and not nobody, but a lot of us don't. And uh, we really lost it, I think. And I, I'm sure you agree that, uh, that our ancestors could teach us a great deal. But, okay, well, well that, be that as it may, let's move on to, to other subjects. We have our break coming up uh, just before we take that. Why don't we... Um, Begin. Uh, who, who is is it? Tibus or Tibus? Or how do you pronounce that? <laughs> Sorry, it's Tibus. Tibus. Oh, okay. Oh, there we are. Tibus. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm just wondering. Yeah. Now, now, this is we're always a little bit suspicious about guides and things. However, you said something in uh, I believe it's on your website that I kind of responded to that th- this could be some version of a higher self of of your own. 
because sometimes we think, well, maybe this is part of our self-talking, because I've often noticed when uh, people have their guides, when they write things out, they make the same spelling errors, and, and they write in the same style as the person who's supposed to be being guided, um, which may not mean anything, but I'm an editor, so I can't help it. Uh, but I, I kind of like the idea that this could be a higher self, which we interpret as another version of yourself in a world that's more aware and has different physical laws, whatever, you know, if, if that's correct. So uh, t- tell us about this. Uh, it just, it, we have one, one more minute, and, th- and then we'll switch. But I d- wanted to get the word on, on Tybus here and w- when that started and what the relationship is. Uh, okay, I'm getting a real echo off you there, but I think I've, I've got the gist of it. Um, okay, I, I can't talk about Tybus without this fact. In 1952, I had two encounters. Um, I remember part of them consciously, and... A part of them under hypnotic regression with Dr. Leo Sprinkle. Um, I was playing outside with my dog in North Iowa, and suddenly I was in a small craft and then in a larger one. Um, my guide, quote unquote, on those encounters, I called him my special one. Um, I was a four-year-old child. Now I call him Tybus. Um, that's what he says his name is, and. I have sort of proof of this because I'm missing a membrane in my mouth, the one between your your uh, upper lip and your the inside of your mouth. Um, it's just gone, and I've never been able to explain it. I asked my parents. They're dead now, but um, I asked them many times, um, and they were very involved parents they knew what was happening with me and i've never had a mundane explanation for this okay i'll so have to I've stop you because we have to take our break i'm sorry we'll, we'll come back to this in just a minute if you'll just uh uh hold that thought okay. as i say okay so you are listening to behind the paranormal with paul and ben eno on 12:40 a.m that's w-o-o-n 12:40 a.m in new england's beautiful blackstone river valley we'll be right back with our guests tim beckley and diane tesman so stick with us Hello, this is Manny Brando reminding you that my show is on Owen every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. You forget about me. What about you? Virginia Brando, your co-host. You and I are going to have a talk. Again? It's Walter Beasley here. And I'm Dave Koss. Tune in this weekend when I welcome saxophonist Walter Beasley to the program. He's got some great new music for us and a whole lot of great stories, as usual. Remember to visit DaveKoss.com for the full scoop and be here this weekend for Walter Beasley on the Dave Koss Radio Show. The Dave Koss Radio Show can only be heard on ON 1240, WON Socket Radio, every Sunday, twice on Sundays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. The Dave Koz Radio Show is brought to you by Papa John's Pizza. Better ingredients, better pizza, papajohns.com. It's the Dave Koz Radio Show right here on OM Radio. The North Smithfield Emergency Management Agency will be sponsoring a Community Emergency Response Team Training Class, CERT, starting October 6th through December 1st. The class is open to area residents over the age of 18. For further information, contact the EMA office at 767-2206 or Captain Jay Levinson at 230-9327. Helping to keep our families and community safer. You can depend on us for public service. Owen Radio. 
Hello, I'm Tracy Abrams with Community Care Alliance. We are hosting our 27th annual Shelter Walk on Saturday, October 17th at River Island Park, 100 Burnham Street in Woonsocket. Registration for the three-mile walk starts at 9 a.m. and the walk kicks off at 10 a.m. Proceeds support the Woonsocket Shelter and Homelessness Prevention Programs. Individuals and teams of walkers from schools, churches, and businesses are encouraged to participate. Sponsorships are also available. For more information, please visit our website, communitycareri.org, or contact Wendy Pyrus at 401-235-7245. Thank you. You can depend on us for public service. Owen Radio. Okay, and welcome back, folks. Uh, we're talking this evening uh, on this very interesting subject of UFOs and possible connections with the afterlife. Our guests are Tim Beckley, UFO legend, and fellow UFO legend Diane Tessman, uh, author of a new book, which we'll, get, we'll let her talk about in just a few minutes. Okay, we are going to continue with our thought about guides. Uh, Diane believes she has a guide. A lot of people do. What is the difference, Diane, would you say, between a guide and a, a traditional idea of perhaps, say, a guardian angel? Well, I guess I was saying that my guide, I actually had a UFO abduction or encounter. I prefer to call it encounter. And I felt a shared consciousness with this guy ever since. Um, I said guy instead of guide because he's not an angel um, to the best of my comprehension. Um, he's, he was human-like looking, and I, I sat on a bench across from him in a large, I assume, ship. So um, it, it, the term guide, as far as all the Bliss Ninnies have a guide, and I don't aim that at Bliss Ninnies in a derogatory manner, but I came out of a almost an abduction scenario as a little girl, which is pretty weird, lost a membrane, which I have no other explanation for. Believe me, I've looked. In fact, in the 1980s, I went to, a, when I was a adult, I went to a plastic surgeon, and he said, yeah, it looks like laser surgery there on your lip. And But this would have been 1952 when it happened, or at least very young, because I first noticed it when I was uh, playing around with makeup at about age nine. Okay, so, I, I, I hate um, I hate to interrupt you again, Diane. I'm sorry, but we have a caller. Um, I think that's someone on another subject. So if we could if we could just ask you to stand by, we'll be right back to you. Okay. Okay. And uh, we have someone on the line. Is this uh, Sue? It's Sue Neil Spooler. How are you, Paul? Oh, very good, Susan. And you're going to tell Can us about some kind of a, an exciting event that's coming up. Yes, on Friday and Friday and Saturday, October 16th and 17th is the Greater New England UFO Conference, and our website www.newenglandufo, all spelled out, .com. And, Paul, you are going to be one of our featured guests, you and Ben. We're very excited. So um, are we. we have, Indeed. Uh, absolutely. We're having uh, Dan Harzian, who's the Executive Director of MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, uh, Mark Antonio, who is the video and photograph specialist for MUFON. We have Roxy Ricker, who will be coming down from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Ray Hernandez from uh, Miami, Florida. Bill Hall, right there local to you in, in Rhode Island. And, or correct me if I'm wrong, 
And our, our keynote speaker is none other than Richard Dolan. Very good. So we have a lot. We're having a costume contest. We're having a lot of exciting things that are going on um, in Lemonster, Massachusetts, at 25 West Street, Lemonster City Hall. Very good. And the cost is only $25 for adults and $10 for well-behaved children under 12. Okay. Friday night, Friday night is $10 and $5 for children under 12. And $150 and be, for nasty children. <laughs> and, a, and a puppy and a, and a right. cup of espresso, too. But in, in Friday night, it's a special um, from 6 to 9 uh, p.m. We're having Bill, uh, Bill Penning and Ronnie LeBlanc will be talking about their Bigfoot encounters in Lemonster State Forest. There'll be some specialty Bigfoot um, vendors there. And, um, and that'll, be a, that'll be a lot of fun. And our, our, our Saturday, our 8 a.m., we'll start registration. And we'll get started around quarter of nine and run till about, I'd say, five or six o'clock at night, depending on how many questions people have. Mm-hmm. We'll have lots of fantastic UFO-type vendors. With your, you'll have your fabulous book, won't you? No, oh, we, we will. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good, good, good. I'm glad to hear that. So. Great. So, yeah. Well, okay, Susan, that, that, that's wonderful. Okay, well, we're going to... Um, We'll see you then, and we encourage everyone to go. We'll be promoting it on shows between now and then, and uh, we'll look forward to it. Absolutely, and then you'll hear there'll be uh, commercials on the Art Bell Show as well. There's local, some real, real, real life commercials, uh, History Channel, uh, Sci-Fi, and uh, AMC. Also, the great. Uh, we'll have our. We have a regular uh, commercial that Richard Dolan did for us. So up in the outstanding North Central, Mass- North Central Massachusetts area. Very good. Cool. NewEnglandUFO.com, everybody. We'll, we'll see you there. Thanks, Susan. All right. All right. Thanks a bunch, Paul. Looking forward to seeing you. Take care, my friend. Very Bye-bye. good. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. So, New England UFO Conference. So, speaking of subjects having to do with UFOs, Tim, let's get you in here a bit. Uh, what's your opinion on, on these guides, and are they what they appear to be? Because, as you know, that, that's one of our problems is these things, you can't, Trust them, in my opinion. Now, of course, obviously, you've got 1952 here, and, and Diane has is, is, uh, been working w- with this uh, Tybus ever Tybus. since. Tybus. <laughs> I'll get it. I'll get it. And, uh, you know, so, that, so that, that's got some longevity. But, Tim, what's your opinion on all this in general, as far as uh, guides and things of this kind, having to do with UFOs? Well, you know, I hesitate uh, to get involved in uh, what we call the uh, channeling. Because I do believe that uh, so much of it, uh, so many of these people who are uh, claim to be channels, now I'm not saying that they're not sincere, but we don't know how much uh, is actually coming from some outside source and how much might be coming from our subconscious. Also, who's to say that some being in some other, on some other plane of existence or on some other planet is any more knowledgeable than you or I, or especially I. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's just a hard thing. How do you score it on a scale of 1 to 10? I do think, on the other hand, though, that we have nothing to lose by listening to the inner voices of other people, not necessarily relying on it, uh, you know, 100%, but certainly taking it and, and absorbing it uh, is part of our own personal rationale. And uh, one thing, though, I have known Diane for many uh, years. I first met her when she was actually 
a UFO investigator. I guess she had had, uh, you know, uh, obviously the abduction experiences and so forth. But our our main line of interest and exchange of information, uh, Diane was was living down in uh, Florida at the time, and she had had a, a a series of very very strange events that took place in her house which uh, I, I, we could almost call them kind of like poltergeist phenomena, and you and I, Paul, know that there's a big tie-in between all of these uh, uh, subjects. Diane, why don't you relate to us those weird series of events that had to do with the accident down there, the disaster? Right. Um, okay, in May of 1983, um, not 1983, I'm sorry, just a minute, I'm looking for my notes on exactly the details of it. Um, the Skyway Bridge uh, barge bumped into it um, in 1980. It was May 1980. And 35 people, I believe, lost their lives. A great yeah, I remember that. Went over. Yeah, and I lived very close um, to the Skyway Bridge, um, just a, a block from Tampa Bay. And for the year preceding that, I had had a year of paranormal phenomena, I guess is what you would call it. Um, my house had the beeps. Um, the, the, it started out with the television, uh, but it went to lamps and walls. There would be a beep, a very clear a couple of beeps. And I took a cassette recorder way out away from the house on batteries and it beeped. Um, but then when we tried to record them, my daughter and I, um, they would be very faint. Okay, so the beeps were going on. And then I had probably my best UFO sighting. There were two white, beautiful, white, translucent, almost um, shimmering orbs over Tampa Bay, maybe the size of the full moon, each of them. And... It, I wasn't the only one who saw them. A group of people in the park saw them because uh, the park at the end of the bay, people would go walk their dogs and whatnot in the evening. Uh, my daughter saw them, and we stood and watched them. I finally took my uh, daughter and dog home in, in the night sometime. They were still there. I was try They didn't move like balloons might have drifted a little bit. They were just there. I was trying to communicate with one of them, and it blinked out. So I'm forever annoyed at that, um, very rude. But the other one stayed until, gee, it was 2 or 3 a.m. I was teaching school at the time. I had to teach the next day. And so I went home, and it was still there. And I am annoyed at myself that I didn't stay to see whatever became of it. But so... The morning that uh, things like this have been going on in this great UFO sighting. So the morning that the bridge uh, was bumped into by the barge, I was getting ready to teach for school and getting my daughter ready to go to school. And our smoke alarm went off in a strange way. It wasn't the battery low signal. It was more like Morse code. But we never, my dad thought he knew Morse code, but we were trying to figure it wasn't a fire. The smoke alarm was just acting up. And then we heard on the television at 7.33, I believe it was, in the morning, that uh, the barge had bumped into the Skyway Bridge and 35 people had gone over the side of it. 
uh, in a, some of them in a Greyhound bus. So I really wondered if that was the screams or the signals of those souls as they hit the water or as they died. And this culminated a year of paranormal activity. And then when that was over, I looked back a few months before that. I was out under the stars and something swished over that was opaque, um, black. Um, it was outlined in red. There was a, a dark red about it around the edges. And I just watched it swish over. It wasn't a bird. It was too big. Um, it wasn't flapping. There was no noise involved. And then I remembered the Silver Bridge collapse that John Keel wrote about in the Mothman Prophecies. And I said, this yeah. was be yeah, this was before the, right before the, the Skyway Bridge collapse was this Mothman. <laughs> yeah, well, so that's what the media called it at the time. Just for, for anyone who doesn't know, this is the, the Mothman incidents we often refer to. In the mid-60s, pretty much, although there's some after that and some before that, in the Ohio Valley, particularly Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and, and Parkersburg, uh, there were sightings of this very odd creature that you couldn't make up if you tried, uh, much, much as, as Diane has described, a uh, flying, uh, dark figure, uh, very often described with red eyes, that we usually would inspire great terror, but occasionally inspired great progress in a few people's lives. Now, we've actually had people on the show who said that, that, that their, their math got better, they became uh, great, you know, not great musicians, but they, they developed skills they couldn't, and they credited Mossman with that. So you figure it out, you know. So, so th that's well, the background this, of what you're saying. So please continue. This was my year of awakening because I was teaching school. I was trying to be a normal human and a good mother, <laughs> and then um, my daughter and I moved to Southern California. She's mixed race and wasn't a race. It wasn't getting along in Florida very well. We moved to Southern California for a new start. I couldn't get into teaching. And it was uh, uh, the point where I started into um, expressing my, my shared consciousness and my experience. I went to Dr. Sprinkle in 1980 for regression. And it was a point where I met Tim Beckley, who encouraged me to write down all my stuff and maybe appeal to other people. At a high and point of your life my, my stuff. Meeting <laughs> Tim, yeah. So we can take Mothman. <laughs> okay, yeah. Very good. Well, Diane, I have a question. Okay, so you, you had these experiences starting at the age of uh, 14 with uh, four, your special four, one... Four. Uh, yeah, a special yeah. one, Tybus. Now, uh -huh. did this Did your contacts with him, communications with him, continue on a regular basis? And part two of the question: uh, Do you think that uh, your contact with him was because you might have some ex uh, exceptional paranormal abilities? That um, I don't know whether it, it goes in your family or not, but I suspect that it doesn't. And uh, no. uh, or uh, or is it coincidence, or why is it that you think you're chosen? I mean, uh, you know, I mean, uh, it, it, it seems like um, they picked you out, maybe one out of, a, you know, a million or two million or, or something uh, like that, or maybe they didn't. I mean, how do you kind of uh, uh, get around well, that issue? It's kind of a, a long answer. I don't know if we even have time, but 
in the 50s, the ETs or whoever they are seemed a bit more open. The golden age of contact and encounters seems to be in the 50s and 60s. Um, so I think that, just to put it in a silly way, um, I was I was on a remote farm in North Iowa. I had a brother 10 years older. I think the ETs were looking for a contact a human um, campaign, and I think they contacted my brother, and he rejected. He was fearful. He was angry, and um, he had um, beings called Moho and Toe that he thought were bad dreams, but he was so affected in his waking state that he carried a knife and bat. And I was told as a little kid, he was 10 years older, so he was 14, I was 4. I was told to stay away from Norman's room because he had a knife and a bat to protect himself from Moho and Poe. Now, that's a strange dream. And I really kind of wonder if it was just random. There were two kids in a fairly remote spot. There was a landing five miles up the road that I've learned of in recent years, uh, but a landing back in 1952 that was witnessed by a farmer where two little beans got out of a saucer while the farmer was baling hay. They uh, took a specimen of water, put it in a, uh, scooped up their vessel, and got back in and left again. So there was UFO activity in that year and probably the same season. And I think uh, maybe two fairly intelligent kids were on a remote farm, and the aliens gave it a try. So I don't think I was anything special other than fairly intelligent. Parents were both college-educated, but were on a farm. And the 1950s, uh, 52, 53, were huge UFO years. Um, so I just think it was a happen-so. But my connection is fairly... Um, physical or fairly, um, what do I want to say? It can be traced. It isn't just sort of an airy fairy thing. And again, I'm not taking away from that kind of contact, but that's never quite suited me either. So let's see, does that answer your question, Tim? <laughs> well, that's my answer. Okay, uh, uh, let me just cut in here because we're burning up our hour. I wanted to get in a little bit with both of you into the, the nature of the what is commonly called the alien agenda, whatever that may be, and if, if that's what it is. We, from the viewpoint of our work, which is mostly, as I say, in quote-unquote ghost research, that we are frequently running, all the time actually, running into entities, if that's what they are, that claim to be good and are actually miserable in the sense that uh, they claim to be guides or angels or ancestors or Uncle George or something like this. And uh, what they're really doing is pushing buttons, and they're parasitical, pushing buttons to produce negative energy that they can eat, because that's how they live. How do we know that when we're dealing with uh, the beings who are claiming to be aliens, or at least non-terrestrial or in some way, that they are positive or negative? For example, I'll, I hate to go back to poor uh, Tybus here, but... <laughs> Uh, pick on him, but um, how do you know he's what he says he is, and how do you know you know any of that? How do you know the aliens no, are good or bad, or whatever? I can't prove it to anybody else, but I can look back at every second of my life and see places where I've been kind of helped along in 
in crazy circumstances that would have been um, detrimental otherwise. I can look at the guidance that he's given me, and I can look at the fact he never takes over. Um, it's just input when I want it, and all the channel or the, I don't even call it channeling, the shared consciousness, the messages to love the earth, to love the environment, um, kind of broad and kind of uh, uh, not, okay, not specific. We've given some specific predictions that came out of, uh, to be accurate, but for the most part, I only know what's within me, which is what's within him. And I, I think that there's certainly negative entities out there. Better believe but it. But I think that we've got to look into, uh, I guess I stick a little bit more to space and time than entities in the occult uh, field. I just think that the human species is going to stagnate if we can't move forward somehow. Okay, we got and, you. Um, I'll, I'll ask that. Yeah. We have a question from a listener who asked us to ask it ourselves. So, Ben... All right, I'm going to do my best to translate this. This is a sort of sort of an all-play kind of question yeah, here. We haven't got much time. Uh, yes. So Scott from Uxbridge called in, and um, he Massachusetts. yes, and he uh, he uh, said he's 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 into Taoism. He enjoy he he considers himself a Taoist, which I I respect very highly. He uh, he was questioning. Well, he was he was wondering why birds represent so many um, s- specific things. Well, as in like not bearers of knowledge and calm and wisdom. Especially in like Taoism, because you know they have the crane, and uh, as well as a few a few other birds that they specifically point at in that that whole tradition of um, bearers of knowledge. Or even if you go back to like the ancient Egyptians, the god Horus was a, a bearer of knowledge, the scribe or whatever. And you have uh, the, the Greek goddess Athena, who has uh, Bubo, the owl, that is also a bearer of knowledge. So the question is, why is it that these birds are so symbolic? You look like you're asking me. Well, I mean, I am. I'm asking. Oh, I thought you're every- asking our guests. Well, I'm, a- I'm well, asking everyone. Him? <laughs> okay. Well, go ahead. Boy, now I, I, I've heard people have uh, like uh, sightings of owls it, it, is a part of some screen pattern that takes place, so that they're not really looking at the entity that uh, uh, you know is disguising himself. Is that what we're talking about? Otherwise, I'm not quite. Well, following it, it, it seems quest. it's a little bit out of my. It's a little bit out of my uh, nuts and bolts. And yeah, it gets into folklore. Yeah. Uh, department. Well, it gets into folklore, and I think if what we may be dealing with here is simply the fact that birds fly, and that has always fascinated people. It, it, it indicates a sort of freedom. Somehow, and you know, Tim, it was always this, and, and Diane, it was always the sky gods somehow. Even uh, when people talk in, in modern, modern uh, religious terms, it's always the sky gods somehow. That, I found that very interesting. And the birds come to come from and go to the sky. I think that, that might be simply it. But I'm afraid we'll have to move on. I want to give you a chance uh, both to talk about briefly your websites and your books and where people can find out more. Uh, when we well, start I, with Diane, I, I let, I let okay, Diane well, Tim, go ahead. Because I've been on the uh, the show uh, okay. a few times. All yours, and, Diane. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I'm. Uh, I have the website www.earthchangepredictions.com. And if you contact me through that website, I'll send you a free sample of the Change Times Quarterly, which is my long-running newsletter. I started it in Amsterdam in 1990, or my longer-running newsletter, the Start Network Heartline, that I started in 1983. 
in San Diego, California, with Tim Beckley's help, an old $5 garage sale typewriter I began on. <laughs> and our book is UFOs, Are They Your Passport to Heaven and un- Other Unearthly Realms. And I also have the UFO Agenda book on Kindle and Amazon. Okay, excellent. Oh, oh well, and, and Diana is also very uh, much into the care of animals. Hmm. Animals, cats. I have uh, a cat sanctuary was over uh, with 74 currently um, cats that would be out in the winter in North Iowa in 40 degrees. Excellent. I, I, I'm afraid we're out of time. We're, I'm going to have to stop you, but. Well, we'd love to have you back, and I would encourage people to contact your sites, and there are links to their sites on our sites. Well, thank you both very, very much. Well, thank you, Paul, and Ben. Always good to talk to you. Very good. Indeed. Thanks, meow. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> okay, folks, let's go to our announcements really quickly here. Then. Alrighty, on to our plethora of announcements. On Saturday, October 17th, we will once again be speakers at the Greater New England UFO Conference at City Hall in Lemonster, Massachusetts, where we will present a different variation on our subject, Alien vs. Demons, uh, which is which. Other speakers will include some renowned experts familiar to our listeners, including Richard Dolan, Peter Robbins, Mark D'Antonio, and William J. Hall. Uh, you can visit Susan Todd. Oh, no, wait, we have a different website for that now, which you can find at our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. That's right, uh, New- NewEnglandUFO.com. That's right. Okay. You can also visit our website to find free podcasts, 650 free podcasts of past shows, uh, both on ON1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. That's BehindTheParanormal.com. On Thursday, October 29th, at 7 p.m., I or we, not sure if Ben can make it, will speak on the nature of paranormal phenomena and review our top cases at the New England Institute of Technology, East Greenwich, Rhode Island, campus, at 7 p.m. Public is invited. The reception will follow in the library. And you can find my books on Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble, The Usual Suspects. Uh, but if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I'll be happy to sign them for you. And you will help us keep all those podcasts free. Also on our website, you'll find direct links to several charities Ben and I have adopted, including USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, YouthMentoringConnection.org in Los Angeles. And uh, they're doing great things out there for um, at-risk youth. And the two recent books that are published by Tim Beckley, our guest, one of our guests this evening, uh, Bell Witch Project, which contains some uh, material by me on uh, old cases here in New England, and certainly of special interest to readers here, uh, UFO Repeaters, with an entire chapter on our old friend Joe Ferrier, who is a talk show host on ON here for 50 years. Both books available at Amazon.com. We use the links at the online bookstore at our site. All right, so next Monday, October 12th, uh, is a holiday in the U.S., and we will offer a, re-broad- a rebroadcast of American Monsters with Linda Godfrey. And uh, that is from January 5th, uh, 2015. And, you know, Linda's one of the few really, really credible cryptid researchers, cryptids being Bigfoot and all that, uh, we've been able to reach. So yes. anyway, we, we leave you this evening with a thought from the American composer Irving Berlin. Life is 10% what you make it and 90% how you take it. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.